And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Let me pray. Lord, as we come to your word, would you speak to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Great to have you with us. Especially if you're visiting. If you are visiting, my name's Dave. I'm uh, one of the clergy here. If you, in case you haven't heard, I have an exciting announcement to, to make, which is Chris Myers, uh, the uh, curate here, the associate priest here, uh, left a week ago uh, to uh, the north of England to um, defend his PhD thesis. And despite Storm Otto, where winds knocked out power for some 30,000 people and delayed his examiner coming on the train, imagine the wind was so strong it delayed the trains. Um, he was told that he passed without the need of any revisions. And so on Tuesday, yeah, amen, yeah, praise the Lord. On Tuesday, and that's it, when there's no revisions necessary, um, that's a high, high compliment, which we had no doubt, um, but it's just great. Um, he returns on Tuesday, and when he returns on Tuesday, we'll have a reverend doctor in, the mid, in our midst, and... Um, if you saw the social media post, my first experience of rodeo was with Chris. And um, the, the bull rider who won boasts of the name of Pistol Wayne Myers. And so that's why I've given him the title Dr. Pistol Wayne <laughs> Myers, because Wayne is his middle name and only in Texas, right? Anyway, welcome uh, to Sunday. I don't know how we got there, but moving on. Um, if you are visiting, just a few words just kind of help you kind of orient where you are. Uh, we are, um, the name of the church obviously is St. Bart's. Um, the Redeemer Bible Church service at 10, is at 11. You feel free if you came to that early to wait. And we'll, we'll, you, know, you don't have to leave if you're at the wrong service. It's happened from time to time. Um, but we are a three-stream Anglican church, which means that we hold intention, the word, the spirit, and the sacraments. Um, which, and what we say by that is that we, when we say that, we mean that the word isn't an end in itself, but the word helps us to see Jesus, right? That's the goal of today is that you have an encounter with Jesus, that you meet with him, and as you go about the rest of your lives, you are, you know, um, he is, you're walking with him. And so the sacraments, the liturgy, again, um, are here to help us see Jesus, that's why, uh, if you're, you may have wondered why did we not do the confession that was printed, well, we kind of sung it, and I thought, well, let's not do a double down on the confession, because Lent's coming. Let's make it a little bit more cheery and just do a little informal one. And the same with the Spirit. You know, 
Um, we're not here to, to, to seek out experiences for the sake of experiences, but the Spirit of God is here to help us see Jesus. And Jesus is seated on the throne of grace right now watching us in real time. And so you can have, as throughout today, well, I pray in the next hour so that you'll come back, uh, you'll have an experience with the living God because he's here, he's alive, and he's with us. And this Sunday happens to be Transfiguration Sunday where we look at that odd, um, odd because it, you know, it's just out of the ordinary experience that Jesus has with his three friends. So let's look at that. You can, uh, you'll be in good stead if you're in your bulletin. Um, we're going to be looking at the passage from Matthew 17. Uh, if you have your Bibles, that might help you as well. Um, and just be warned that if you're on your phone and you play Candy Crush, there is someone behind you <laughs> who will call you out later. Um, so what is God doing in this passage? Well, Jesus is at a very specific moment for turning to his ministry in Jerusalem um, and the agony of the cross that awaits. And to prepare him, what does God, what does his father do? Well, he gives his son a mountaintop experience so that Jesus has what he needs to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And so that he'll do it in obedience and faith. And so we see something, first of all, in the heart of God the Father, which is he does everything he can to set his children up for success. And oh, I wish I could promise you that he does everything to remove difficulty from us, but that's just not ever been a promise. He promises to be with us in the difficulty. And so this is it. This is the moment before the drama of Holy Week. This is where Jesus receives from God his Father in preparation for what awaits. And the transfiguration, two things happen. We have an extraordinary event, and we have an extraordinary and unpredictable response from Peter. So let's look at those uh, briefly. So what happened? Uh, if you, we could line up Peter, James, and John and ask them to describe, tell us exactly what you saw. Um, likely they would have been pushed to the limits of language, right? Um, because how do you describe something so other? And we see that, right? And that's why we love poets. That's why we love musicians. That's why we art is so helpful because it creatively helps us put a message into a way that sometimes can help us when words aren't enough. And the first thing that happens is that we see that Jesus has an inner circle. He has the 12, but he also has his three. And later, we, he has his one, John, who humbly describes himself as the one that Jesus loved. I mean, I guess if you write the scriptures, you can write that in for yourself. Um, but the first thing that happens is that he, um, they're not chosen for their prayerfulness because we know later on they fall asleep whenever they're asked to pray. So if you're not very good at prayer, you're in good company. Um, they're not chosen for their insight because they get it wrong over and over again. Jesus just likes them. He just likes them. And, and so Matthew tells, them that, tells us that the four withdrew alone. And then this verse, verse one, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Verse two, there he was transfigured before them. 
What happens? He's standing there, an astonishing transformation takes place. His clothes become white, radiantly dazzling bright white. And his whole appearance is radically altered. And he has this otherworldly brilliance about him. It's as if he's clothed in white light. They witness something never seen on earth before this point. What are they witnessing? They're getting a glimpse of Jesus in the glory and majesty he possesses in another realm. And it's a realm that is invading earth. It's a realm that is coming into earth. It's a world beyond this one. And for these few minutes, however long they're up, we don't actually know how long they're up there, the splendor of heaven is breaking into earth on the mountaintop as Jesus stands transfigured before them. And Matthew is saying that something took place which transcends normal experience. It's no um, surprise that it happens on a mountain because throughout the scriptures, the mountain is the place of divine revelation. Um, you think back to the Old Testament, it's on Mount Sinai that Moses meets God and gets the law. It's on Mount, Mount Horeb where Elijah, who's looking for comfort, looking to hear from God, and it's on Mount Horeb where Elijah encounters the still, small whisper of God. And so the cloud that envelops Jesus stands for really his divine presence. The brightness of Jesus' garments is kind of reminiscent of Exodus, of the Shekinah glory, the, the physical manifestation of God, the divine presence in a pillar of fire and smoke. And so here we have all the signs of an experience that is divine, that is sacred, and otherworldly, and one that bears significant resemblance to the Exodus and Moses' experience of Mount Sinai. So that's what happened. Matthew six, and so what happens? What's the second thing that happens? Well, Peter has a response. Think back with me. You'll remember this is so famous. In Matthew 16, Peter has this incredible encounter with Jesus where Jesus says, who do they say I am? And he says, you know, you're, and then he says, who do you say I am? And he says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says to Peter, you are the rock upon which I will build my church. And then Jesus goes on. And then Peter, realizing that he's been made CEO of this new enterprise, because everyone had a hunch that God was about to bring about a kingdom. They just didn't know what it would look like or who would bring it about or what the nature of it would be. You had zealots who thought it would be an armed military, militia-led overthrowing of the Roman occupiers. You had the religious elites that believed that God would instigate it by the return of a second Moses. And it would be also met by the presence of Elijah because, oddly enough, Moses and Elijah exit the biblical story in very odd ways, right? So, Peter hears Jesus talk about the cross, and he goes to him and says, hey, I got this other idea that doesn't involve your death. And Jesus turns to him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. 
When you've messed up publicly, as I have, I do all the time, and you get it wrong and it's really embarrassing, the next time you're asked a question, well, I'll tell you what I do as an achiever. I'm read up, I'm ready, and I can't stop from talking. And so here we have Peter with James and John. And Peter's figured probably, we don't know how self-aware he was, um, but he likely knows he's not chosen for his brilliance. Probably, I mean, you know, because they know they've already been selected out from the religious elite. They've already been told they don't have what it takes to be religious leaders. And so Peter is there and he makes a connection and he starts, things start to come into place and intuitively he gets it. I probably, like you've heard a number of times, preachers talk about how Peter gets it wrong. But what if Peter connects the dots and doesn't get it wrong? Everyone's expecting a Messiah. He'll bring about a kingdom, as I just said. And Peter's on a mountaintop that is covered in glory. Maybe he's reminded of Mount Sinai and the stories that he would have heard over and over again, how it was covered in glory when Moses receives the law. And so Peter intuitively maybe gets it that Jesus is bringing about a new exodus, that this is the Messiah, like really, really. Like I kind of believed it, and it was, but really, really, this is the one. And he's the long-awaited Messiah. And so he suggests tents. Why tents? Well, because the word really is tabernacle. And if you remember the story of what happens on Mount Sinai, after the blip of the golden calf incident, God gives Moses instructions, and the first incident we have of the Spirit of God being placed on people is on artists so that they can be used to build the tabernacle, a tent that would represent the splendor of heaven on earth as a sign of what God was doing. And so beauty has always been seen as a, as a sign of God's presence on earth. And so go get beauty treatments. I won't pay for it, You're, you know, but and just think about what does it mean to be beautiful in a chaotic world, right? Um, that wasn't in the text. I apologize if I've created conflict for this afternoon. But it's this idea of the tabernacle being a place where the splendor of heaven is on display. And because Peter's connecting the dots, he said, okay, there was one, there are three guys here. Maybe, I don't know quite how it all works out, but the next step must be tabernacle. And as he's speaking, we look down, look down with me in verse um, four. Look, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Verse five, while he was speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. What if God isn't contradicting him but is joining in with Peter saying, and just kind of redirecting gently. And the father says this statement, and he's saying three things. This is my son. He's speaking the truth. He's actually quoting Psalm 2, verse 7, as a sign that the law is being fulfilled. He then says, whom I love and whom I delight, God the, God the Father is quoting the prophets 
He's quoting Isaiah 42, verse, verse one. This is the prophesied one who's going to fulfill the prophets. And then what does he add? Listen to him. Which is a quote directly from Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. This is the one. This is the Messiah. What did it mean? Well, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. And Luke tells us in his account that they were talking to Jesus about his exodus what she was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. And these men appear representing God's bringing in of his kingdom. Moses as the one who represents God's bringing, leading God's people to the promised land. And Elijah is the one expected as a sign of the kingdom. And so Moses and Elijah minister to the Son of God on the mountaintop before he comes down. His kingdom on earth. And those words, this is my son whom I love, listen to him, is a wonderful shorthand of what the kingdom is about. It's about truth, it's about light, and it's about deliverance, which is a, you know, a loaded term these days in the church. But think about this with me. If we look at Jesus, and if our goal is to see Jesus this morning, how did he speak truth? Unlike I've ever had anyone speak truth to me. He had a way, like if you think of the woman at the well, he spoke truth in such a way that the way that he communicated himself communicated incredible love. And even though their life might not be in line with the way that he was modeling it, they felt drawn to him. Not an abrasive truth. You know, we, in the last four years, we've had all kinds of people say, I'm gonna tell you what I think and I'll tell you the truth and boom. Please lie to me. I said that to someone last week and they were taken aback. I said, well, I don't know if I wanna hear the truth right now. It's been a long week. Um, light. To shine light. How do we shine light? The light comes when we realize that The truth is we're his children, that we're loved, but that he delights in us. There's something delightful about us. There's something delightful about you. That's a hallmark of the kingdom. Sometimes we think the hallmark of the kingdom is that we have to bring our neighbors to church. No. I mean, please do. But that's not a hallmark of the kingdom. It's that you're a child of his and that he loves you and that he wants to lead you. Often the way that we shine light is we ask questions. And it's always interesting to me when I'm in an environment where people don't want me to ask questions. That's always a sign of there's some kind of perhaps dysfunction going on. Or maybe I'm the dysfunctional one. It's, I'm, I'm happy to entertain both sides. But um, if you'll bear, um, every so often I get it right. So I'm gonna, if, if you'll allow, I'll tell a story. I was shopping at Sam's Club. I just dropped the kids off at school. And I'm in Sam's Club, I'm getting barbecue stuff. I'm not dressed up like a priest. So the, of the playing field is leveled, right? 
if they don't expect anything special from me, and I needed a box, because I, you know, you just better if you have the box, you put the stuff in, it get it. and I see a, an employee of Sam's Club with boxes, and I, without asking, I reach over and I grab the box, as I take it out, I say, do you mind if I take this? And she says, sure, but her body language communicated no. So I said, no, no, okay, I'm so sorry. Forgive me for presuming. Here, have the box back. I'll go back. And she says, no, no, take it. She says, no, take the box. She says, no, you take the box. Anyway, and I said, how's your, are you okay? You know, it's 8.30 in the morning, and a bit early to be having a rough day. And uh, she wasn't. And I said, well, tell me about it. And, you know, she tells me about her life. And I said, when does your shift finish? And she kind of looks at me, and I said, I'm about to smoke some ribs. I'll be back in three hours with your lunch. He says, really? He says, yeah, trust me. I said, okay. So I go back, and I'm working, and I'm, I come back three hours later with the biggest rack of ribs I've smoked. And it's, you know, the aroma. It's just, you know, it's my version of aromatherapy. It just works. <laughs> you know, when I get to check on, they say, you smell delicious. I said, I've, you know, you could too. Um, <laughs> And I'm looking for her. She's not in the aisle. She's not with the detergent. She's not with where I found her. And I go into the staff um, um, break room. She's not there. And I asked, you know, where so-and-so is. Just, I think she laughed. Or, and as I'm going out, if you've been to Sam's Club, you know that as you go out, just there's the manager's office. And so I, so I open the door, and I look in the manager's office, and there she is with the manager. And I walk right in. I'm so far down this line, I'm like, well, the least they could do is throw me out. And I said, I have your ribs. And the manager's looking at me and says, why are you bringing her ribs? And I'm like, mate, I shop here all the time. I've seen her. She's great. She helped me out this morning. She deserves a raise. Are you talking about her compensation? Because I think you ought to because she's been, do you know that she's been passed over three times? And that's what she was upset about. And I took it upon myself to bless her today because this place needs employees like that. Here are your ribs. I got to go. Bye. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I was way out of my comfort zone. <laughs> I saw her the next week. And she, like, greeted me at the entrance, you know, tried to upsell, I don't know, some grill I didn't need. I was like, no, no, I just need whatever it was. Um... I honestly don't know how I got there, except that when I heard her tell me how horrible her life was, all I wanted to do was bless her. And I thought, how can I bless this woman? She doesn't need a prayer, probably does, but it wouldn't help. She probably doesn't need a sermon, though it would help eventually. Da -da -da -da. What she needed was to be blessed. And the thing I had immediate access, access to, which is barbecue, which is an addiction, a habit. You know, there's ways I justify it. Um, and I was able to give her a rack of ribs. And she got a raise. But it wasn't me. I didn't do that. That was the Lord. And so his kingdom is predicated on truth and love. A light that reveals, that we can reveal to people that they're not just loved by God, but that he delights in them and then to be open to be led by him, to be prompted by him, or whatever that looks like. The kingdom work of Jesus is all about, like I said last week, 
planting his people at the crossroads of the earth so that his people, Jesus is the light of the world, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the one who's gonna redeem, but from the beginning he has chosen to do it in partnership, and he does it in partnership by partnering with his people as he plants them in the crossroads of the earth so that we could reflect what this kingdom's all about. Should we pray? Lord, in this moment, we lift you those of us in our midst in need of your truth, that you count us as children, and that as you did with Jesus, you go to great lengths to walk with us through difficulty and to prepare us for the difficulty. And you go to great lengths to communicate to us that we're loved, So even now, Lord, we lift you those in our midst who are going through difficult times. And we ask, Lord, that you'd come alongside us as a community, enable us to share your love with each other. And we ask, Lord, that you would lead us. You'd lead us in whatever way it looks like to be a blessing to those around us who are in desperate need of truth and of light. To do it in a way that's not abrasive, to do it in a way that isn't judgmental, but to do it in a way that is a blessing. To do it in a way that reflects you, Jesus. So would you speak to our hearts, we pray, Lord and lead us to follow your example, Jesus. Amen.